Hey there, and welcome to episode 17 of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. I'm Ando, I'm your host, and we are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. Get involved. Get involved. So, Mitch, how has your week been, my friend? It has, it's been a good week this week. I've um, had some time off. I've been up the mountains, which has been mm-hmm, nice. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just really looking forward to the Australian Super Rugby kicking off this coming weekend. Can't wait. Good, good mate. Good, mate. I also got away. I'm up, up in Lismore at the moment, so enjoying the time away with family. So before we jump into what's happening tonight or this week, why don't you tell people about our social media platforms? Yeah, so we have two social media platforms that we're featured on. So we are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. You can also find us on Facebook on a page at pick and drive rugby podcast. So the focus of this podcast is, well, as the podcast as a whole is about Aussie rugby is what we try and talk about. We love to talk and be positive and encouraging about what's happening in the Aussie rugby scene. And we finally have some Australian rugby coming back as of uh, first game's Friday, isn't it? It's Friday. It is, yeah, this Friday night. Um, Exciting, very exciting. So as a result of that, the focus for tonight's pod is going to be on the Super Rugby Australia competition. We will briefly touch on the third round of the New Zealand comp as well as some of the spicy news. But the focus actually is an interview that we're going to be having with Brett McKay, who is ABC Grandstand journalist, weekly contributor to the sports opinion website, The Raw, all round good guy. And we're really excited to have him on the pod. So why don't we jump straight into our spicy news? to start things off let's do it let's get into the spicy news our first segment this week is the spicy spicy news <laughs> um and in domestic news first there has been talks of a player revolt so reports are coming of a strike from the super rugby players or the australian super rugby players who are unhappy with being asked to take an additional 40 percent ongoing pay cut after the already established 60 percent uh pay cut expires in September. So basically what's happening is when the negotiations with Rupert were first put into play, um, it was agreed that players would take a 60% pay cut and that that uh, agreed reduction would expire. um, I can't remember when in September, but September. So the current negotiations are for what happens once that expires. And so Rugby Australia have come to them and asked supposedly uh, whether they would take uh, so it would go down from 60 to 40% yep. as an ongoing cut for some un- unknown period of time. Yeah. And I think it, it was for seems... the rest of the year. Okay. Yep. And it seems that, look, I, the initial gripe from what I was reading was that some of the, some of the issues were that Rugby Australia staff aren't having to be taking cuts. Why should yep. the players be having to take cuts? Or at least not to the 40% extent. Um, you could justifiably argue and say there has been a bloodletting at Rugby Australia and there are so many layoffs that have been happening that maybe they don't need to. Um, you just can't do the same thing with the Super Rugby team because you have to have all the players and the support staff. Um, the other point that's within it, though, is that realistically, the players... Um, I mean, the, the economic situation is what it is. Rugby Australia doesn't have the money to be paying full fees for all the players right now when they're not getting the broadcast income coming in. Supposedly, I was reading that the current broadcast arrangement they have with Fox for the Super Rugby AU doesn't even cover operating costs. Right. But okay. it still is enabling some revenue to be coming in. So 
it seems pretty relevant that um, Rugby Australia is asking them to continue with a 40% cut. And I mean, it doesn't seem to be eventuating that there's a player strike or a player revolt. It seems to be a bit of a hit piece that came out earlier in the week. Yeah, so from what I understand, this article initially, or the news first came out last Thursday. At the time, the Melbourne Rebels were due to head, or to get on a plane on Friday and head to Canberra. That was partly to do with the rise in COVID spike, or the spike in COVID cases in Victoria, and the fact that they are playing their first round of the Super Rugby competition this Friday in Canberra, no, sorry, Saturday in Canberra. So they were just going a week early to get out. At the time, there was talks that there was a number of high-profile Wallabies players who were leading this kind of revolt. and that they Matamua. Well, you could say that. There was no <laughs> names confirmed. I'm not Come throwing anyone under the bus. Come on, he's the Rupert representative for the Rebels. But yeah, anyway. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. We're a positive podcast. Um, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So it was, it, the talk was that it was Re- Wallabies, Rebels players in particular, that were driving this. And they were saying, if this doesn't get resolved by tomorrow morning, we're not getting on the plane to, Queen, uh, to Canberra. It's now Sunday or Monday night. As far as I'm aware, every all of the Rebels players are in Canberra. There hasn't been any further talks about this. So I either something was arranged behind closed doors or the players just sort of sucked it up and, and went ahead. So I don't know where this is currently sitting, but yeah, it looks like we are still going ahead. There's not going to be a player revolt. Well, it's an interesting point. You mentioned the early move of the Rebels um, up to Canberra because the Victorian government or is it Queensland have just put into place a mandatory quarantine period for anybody that's been in Victoria in the last two weeks, which means if the rebels had not gone up early, they would have fallen within a two week period for when they play the reds in round two, I think. Um, And so, yeah, basically they wouldn't have been able to play the reds. So luckily they did go up early and that Rebels and Reds game is actually being moved to New South Wales, but the location hasn't been confirmed by the time of recording. So they were so due, we'll have to see. In round two, the Rebels were due to host the Reds in Victoria. That mm-hmm. can't happen now because of the spike in COVID cases. So they are looking at playing that game somewhere in New South Wales. At the current time, there's not an announced destination where that will be. Yep. So we'll have to see where that one comes up. Um, A quick interesting point is, as of today, there was like 70 new COVID cases in Victoria. In Florida, there was over 9,000. It's crazy, isn't it? So whilst we're definitely needing to address stuff that's going on, I think it's helpful to have a bit of perspective too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Way in which we have been going about things. Anyway, let's move on. Okay, so the Waratahs have announced that where they're playing their first two games of the new Australian, or home game, sorry, of the new Australian Super Rugby competition. So the first game is round two where the Waratahs will host the Western Force and that will be played at the SCG. And then, (laughs) like like it or not, that's where they will be playing. And Mm -hmm. then the following week, yes, that's right, the following week, they'll be playing their second home game of the year against the Brumbies and that will be played at ANZ Stadium. Which so is my booing is pretty obviously putting my position out there. Uh, what were you going to say about ANZ? It's interesting. We haven't been back to ANZ since 2017. So it's wow. been a few years since the Tars have played out there. And um, yeah, it, I, I like it as a stadium. I mean, that's where we won. So it holds fond memories for me. But yeah, uh, it's closer for where I live as well. So <laughs> I mean, ideally, Look. I would be playing out at Parramatta. I love the new Parramatta yep. Stadium. ANZ's a good second. 
SCG is probably the worst possible option out of everything that's been tabled, even playing at yeah. Brookvale or Leichhardt Oval or wherever. But Yeah, I would have preferred a suburban ground over the SCG because um, SCG, you're just so far away from the game and it's set at the wrong angle It is as well. The field's at the wrong angle to actually be viewing it properly. But anyway, so I think Mitch and I will probably be heading to the ANZ game. Um, depending upon ticketing arrangements for what the yeah, Tars will be nice. at, this, at the current but, stage, they haven't announced what the ticketing will be. We are both members for this year, so go Tars. Woo! But Woo. Uh, we'll see if we can get there for that game. Cool. Well, let's move on and can, actually we'll stay with the Tars chat. Um, Kirby Beal has officially moved on and he will not be playing any more games. We might have mentioned that last week, but I thought we'd just quickly say it again. He will not be beating... Benny Robinson, <coughs> Fat Cat, for the most games for the Waratahs. So they are both equal. Can't remember exactly how many they're on. 153, maybe? Yeah, it um, sounds about right. Something like that. It sounds about something. It's in that ballpark. And the other piece of news about the Tars... But on, before we move off onto that point quickly, oh, oh, do, you, oh, um, yep. do you think that this is a Waratahs ploy to get rid of Curtly Bill or a Ben Robinson ploy? <laughs> ben Robinson. Yeah, he's called he's, him up uh, and said, get rid of him. Something. He's gone. Yeah, get yeah. rid of him. He can't beat my record. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, Ben Robinson had to finish early because of an eye problem that he had yeah, as well. He got um, poked in He would have had more games. Yeah, he, a, he was risking going blind or something like that if he kept well, he, playing. He went blind for, a number, for about two weeks. Jeez. Yeah. That's rough. Okay. Um, and the other piece of news for the Tars, apart from a couple of player releases as well, um, Mac Mason isn't going to be featuring any more any Australian competition. He... Um, we, yeah, he's basically going to be staying on a family property up in Queensland. He does have a strength and conditioning routine that he is working on there with remote supervision. But basically the Waratahs have said, nope, don't need you. We're going to go with Donaldson and Harrison as our two tens. Harrison's the starting. And thanks very much. Bye. And his contract won't be getting renewed at the end of the year. What do you think? You've got to really feel for Mac Mason. He's been hanging around the Waratahs and sort of on the cusp of the Super Rugby team for the last sort of five years. And he's yeah. only played a handful of games. So you've really got to feel for him because while he's also been in the mix of the Waratahs, he hasn't played that much club rugby either. He's kind of been in this mm-hmm. kind of limbo, uh, air, this limbo state where he's not really playing rugby, but he's training as a professional player. And like, who's going to sign him now? I don't think anybody will. Um, the only potential is maybe the Reds because um, depending upon how O'Connor goes, if O'Connor gets an injury, you think who's who's the 10 for the Reds? Maybe Hegarty? Yeah, Hegarty can play. Yeah, he's a bit of Yeah, Hegarty can play. So maybe, but I mean, they would have had Lucas there as the development 10, but he's bugging off to Europe. Um, so yeah, it'd be I, interesting I think, to see what happens. I'm not confident he's going to get a super rugby contract any time moving forward. And if that is the case, I really feel for the guy and just think he's been dealt one of the worst hands that I've seen in player development for super rugby. So definitely. Yeah. What a shame. Yeah. And um, in other news in the Western force um, or out of the Western force in Perth, Chris Alcock has announced that he, his, retiring effective immediately so again another player that we won't see participating in this rugby super rugby australia competition i've i've found it quite sort of bizarre this week how many players have been announcing their retirement or in the last two weeks really when we're so close to this new competition starting 
Yeah, you would have thought it happened a few weeks ago, but maybe well, just, contract negotiations but, ongoing or pay on. payment issues. But why would you not just play on? It's a 10-week comp. Maybe, like with Chris Alcock, you just wonder if um, it was a case of his trying to get th- carry injuries through the modified preseason and yeah. then just recognizing that his body couldn't do it. So and maybe I think for him... I had read somewhere sense. that that's what it, where, where it was, that he had just kept kept doing it and he got to a point mm-hmm. where he was focusing more on not being injured than actually playing rugby. So he just decided yep. that uh, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. But at yep. the same time, like, why announce now? <laughs> like, Yeah, who knows? It's interesting. Anyway, yeah. Um, and I guess the last point that we were going to touch on very quickly is that there had been some rumours that Matt Guido was signing over, I think it was in Los Angeles, for the MLR, Major League Rugby, and that is decisively not the case according to an interview that he gave uh, last night. So maybe something will come up in the future, but as of right now, Matt Guido is not going to the MLR. Have you heard the story of how he found out? Yeah, yeah. Somebody talked to him. Uh, he was dropping his kids off at school and he's like, oh, you're going to LA? And he's like, am I? He's like, what? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you heard on the radio, you're off to LA to play rugby. He's like, uh, that's news to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so maybe he's going to be having some good chats with his manager. Or has already had those chats. Exactly. All right, mate. Should we? I think that's it for the news. We've we want to really focus on the uh, actual the upcoming this yeah, week. The, the rugby. So, so I think we'll kind of finish the news there. Yeah, we'll dive into the um the two Super Rugby co- the New Zealand games first. Then we'll have our chat about the Aussie Australian competition. Awesome. Let's go. <laughs> Now let's dive into some rugby chat. So first up, we're going to look at the round three of the New Zealand Super Rugby Aotearoa competition. Game one was in Auckland where the Blues hosted the Highlanders. This game went the Blues' favour, so they are now three from three. And the final score was 27 to 24. The nail-biting finish, really, really engaging game. And the final kind of 10 minutes were just desperate defence. Did I say Highlanders... Just a minute I ago. I think you did. I think did? you did. And if I don't you didn't, know. it was Blues versus Highlanders. Yes, I, I feel like I might have said Crusaders. It was <laughs> the Blues versus the Highlanders. Well, either way, I definitely watched the Blues versus Highlanders. So hopefully <laughs> that's a game you watch too. Um, <laughs> now, one of the things that I really took away with this was the changing interpretation of some referees. Um, I think that there was a big change between week two and three and that generally there were... More, there was more leniency given to the player playing the ball in a tackle as well as less offside calls being given, although maybe that's just because players are better at not being offside. Uh, and most of the time players are actually like clearing um, players that are trying to clear out the rock. They're coming through the gate and staying on their feet too. So I think we're seeing a lot of adjustment from the players for the new interpretations or enforcement of the laws. Yeah, I don't, I didn't see myself find myself sitting there thinking the referees had changed their approach in this game, particularly. I just thought that the players had actually adapted much better to the new rules and that they were yeah. doing, doing the things better that they've sort of been sort of pinged for in the first two weeks. That's what I found myself thinking. Mm-hmm. With the actual game itself, um, what were some of the points that, I don't know, what were some of your talking points that you found from the actual rugby within the game? It was fast. This was a very fast game. Yeah. 
It was a wet game. It wasn't as wet as the second game in Christchurch, but it was still quite wet and damp. Um, but th- it was very fast, and both teams played with very good skills to not have a lot more drop ball. Um, yep. The I, one thing I did notice is that players are not, or the oppos- the opposition is defence. Sorry, is not contesting the breakdown as much anymore as they were in yep. the old rule set. So now. I was, you find that the player gets tackled and goes to ground. There'll be one or two defenders who will come through and on the attacking side, really, and come through and just yep. secure yep. that ball. And then the ball's out. The, the amount, the speed of the ruck was so fast in this game that the ball was in place so much, so, so like a lot of the game. Like it just, this, it just kept ticking over and over and over and over. Mm. One one of my takeaways from this was um, poor poor Scott Gregory for the Highlanders. So he was he's number fifteen fullback for the Highlanders. He has a crazy cool hairdo, and I just really felt sorry for him because in the twenty second minute the Blues score because um, they do a little grubber through. Gregory gets back to kind of clear it out to pick the ball up, but he kind of is really calm and composed, just waits for it to pop up nicely, then turns, tries to clear it, but he's taken so long to pick up the ball that he gets charged down and they score a try. And then five minutes later, um, Rico Ioani scores a try for the Blues based off an awesome, awesome Caleb Clark break. But actually, the break didn't happen because of Caleb Clark. It actually came because of broken field opportunity because of a really poor up and under from Gregory. He basically did, you know, those up, up bombs up and or up and unders are yep. really, really effective when they're contestable. So I think that um, the British, I think there's like four and a half seconds of hang time or 4.2 seconds of hang time is supposedly like the optimal time in the air to enable your defensive line to actually close and compete with the ball. Um, this kick just went way too far and I'm assuming it was Barrett, but it was someone in the back three that just took the ball, played it out wide. Caleb Clark um, does an awesome step off his left foot to get cut inside. I think it was Ash Dixon. Uh, yes. And it was like, you look at it. Okay. Rico, you gets a try. Sure. Dixon gets stepped, but that situation would have happened if it wasn't a poor up and under that was kicked previously. And so there was, and there was a couple of other high balls that he dropped. And I just really felt for the guy. He, he, they, the Highlanders have changed fullback multiple times so far in this competition, but in super rugby prior to the break. And you just felt the lack of experience and then the nerves coming on after that initial error. He, he had a rough night and yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Like he's coming and he's, he's up against the all black number 15 as well. in Bowden Barrett, who's probably mm-hmm. the best number 15 in the world at the moment. So you definitely got a feel for the guy. And as you said before, this was the fourth, he was the fourth fullback that has played for the Highlanders this year. Yep. They have been absolutely yep. ravaging injuries in that position. So yes, definitely. He um, got off to a bad start and his game kind of just went from, from poor to worse from there on. So you really do have to feel for him. But this game particularly, I think, the Blues just sort of took it and ran with it. You could tell that this this Blues team was very composed and very um, clinical towards the end of the game. When the mm-hmm. Highlanders sort of made that second half kind of rush with points, they scored a few points and got a little bit closer. But the Blues never panicked and they just kind of kept the scoreboard ticking over. They took their opportunities to, to get points and they just kept 
doing the things that they were doing right. So their set piece was very strong. They, um, they kept hitting those gaps in the back line. So that was the takeaway for me that this blues team really does have the ability to, to take it that extra step and they have a buy now and then they go on to play the crusaders in Christchurch. So I think that's going to be a very big game. Yeah. Because you've got to think the Crusaders will be three from three by that point. So you'll be having the competition leaders facing off one and two playing each other. So that's very exciting. Now, one of the other things I noticed before we kind of move on to the next game, because we're just, just doing brief overviews tonight, is that the Blues tactical kicking game was really, really impressive. Mm. They would put in these little kicks and little jabs in behind the defensive line to turn them around, to be putting pressure on the Highlanders back three. And it worked. Um, multiple tries that they scored came from the tactical kicking game and the inability of the Highlanders back three to effectively basically fill the space. And um, some of them even came from... Uh, kicks that went out and then um the, the next play that chris the boys were able to get the ball back and then have a counter from it so it was just really like i haven't explained that ex- particularly effectively but my point is no i, they I know turned what the defense in order to play the game and continue to heat the pressure on the highlanders and it was really it added another element to their game plan which is just really impressive to see how they're maturing and developing as a squad well, yeah, they are going from strength to strength. But yeah, as you were saying, in the first 10 minutes, I noticed there was three kick turnovers that came on that left-hand side. So they mm. put the ball out the back and found touch three times in 10 minutes. That's a lot. Yep. Yep. That's a lot. Cool. Well, should we move to the second game? Yes. So the okay, second game cool. was played in Christchurch. The Crusaders hosted the Chiefs. This one was another wet game, and this was a very wet game. Um I didn't get to see all of this. I watched the highlights for the majority of the game and then watched the last 20 final scores. Well, luckily for you, I watched the first 60 minutes. So with our powers combined, we can talk about this game. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. How good. Final score was 18-13 to the Crusaders. Um, A lot tighter than I was initially expecting going into this game. Yep. I think that if Will Jordan (coughs) is not directly behind Bowden Barrett, then he would be starting 15 he is just playing out of his skin at the moment uh the two tries that he scored were excellent one of them was just he followed up a break really really effectively that was seven reese's try try, the first one come on yeah yeah i know but he just handed (laughs) off um but what he was really assured under the high ball he is defensively strong and his second try in the 46th minute was just absolutely beautiful so um the ball goes out yeah it was awesome so the ball goes out in the um chiefs half and it's crusaders line out throw and everybody just starts walking over for the line out and you can see uh jordan about 15 minutes back on the wing 15 meters back and he just he just goes for it he just starts pelting Sevu reese has gone to get the ball sees him coming does a quick line out pass does a quick pass out goes to the required five meters and he just cuts straight through and gets for the try um weber the chief's halfback started to go off at the ref because he's like the ref was talking you were talking to me yeah i don't i was gonna say there's a little bit of controversy which i don't know if you No, you know I watched that. it again. I, I saw it because I started blowing up about it at the time, but I watched it again. And Weber is the one who starts the conversation with the ref. And so it's his choice to engage the ref in conversation. Yeah, but do you it's know why he's talking to the ref? Talking. Why? Because in the breakdown previous, 
they the Crusaders came straight in from the side. So there oh, yeah, should have been yeah, a penalty yeah, yeah. to them. And yeah. then it's play on. And then that happens. Well, like, don't argue with the ref when a game's still going. But the ref was talking to him too. Yeah, but he started the conversation with the ref. No, so I, that's I his understand. fault. I understand. But... <laughs> um, you know what, though? I did notice a few times. Um, I have it written down in my notes for the game that I was a bit sus about the Crusaders entering the rucks. I mean, I could have written that about any game with the Crusaders for the last 10 years. But the reality in this game that I was watching was there were a lot of side entries, which was surprising considering how heavily those had been policed in the first two rounds of the comp. So it was just interesting. Maybe the yeah, but this is the second week aura in, about them. This is the second week as well that we've been talking about this last week. The Crusaders had a lot of penalties against them and didn't get a, a yellow card when yep. they probably should have this week. They're getting away. They're not even getting penalized for those side entries that any mm. other team would be. So I don't know. Is there a, is there a storyline here that the Crusaders are meant to win the comp? Who knows? <laughs> no, surely if there's a storyline, it's the Blues are meant to win the comp. I think I, I really hope. Bandwagon. So two weeks time, the Crusaders host the Blues. I really hope they have Paul Williams as the referee because he is by, by far the best New Zealand referee in the Super Rugby comp at Aratoa at the moment. Okay. I honestly can't identify or know which ref is which because <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know the New Zealand refs um, from a bar of soap. I, I haven't focused on their different refing styles. So they're the but guys hey, in your... the middle with the spec savers on the shirt? Oh, is that what they do? Maybe, maybe the, I don't know. I was going to make some joke about the Crusaders and needing glasses, but it's not them that needs them. Um, cool. I think that's anything it Anything else you want to say about this game? Like, I know we're wanting to be quick. Anything else you want to quickly bring up? Nope. Uh, I don't Easy. think so. Um, it was no, I'm good. It was a wet game. There's been calls in the media for the Crusaders to build an inside stadium in kind of like the uh, Forsyth Bath Stadium down in Dunedin. We'll see yeah, if okay. that eventuates. But um, yeah, okay. let's um, well, let's let's, let's do our predictions for next week quickly. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. So the fixtures for next week. So I've got those. Um, now, so it's week four of the Super Rugby Comp. You've got the Highlanders versus Crusaders on the fourth of July. So the Saturday night game at seven o five p.m. New Zealand time. Um, who's your call? Highlanders or Satyrs? Well, Satyrs for sure. Satyrs for sure. Okay. Yep. Chiefs and Canes are in Hamilton on the fifth on the Sunday. Who's hosting that one? Chiefs. Oh. Look, the, the Chiefs need a win. They, they came a lot closer than I thought they would t- tonight or this, this week. Yeah. Mm, I'm going to go with Chiefs. I'm going with Canes. I think Canes uh, have shown better form. I'm a bit surprised that Chiefs are none from three so far. They don't really deserve it. But at the same time, I just think maybe their poor form will continue. And they, don't, I've got don't, the- they don't not deserve it either. Yeah, what? like it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. They've been close in every game they played. Maybe against the Highlanders, they were a bit robbed, but I think the other games they were pretty fairly beaten. Yep. Um, my pick was uh, Satyrs for the Highlanders versus Crusaders. I don't want them to win. I'd like the Highlanders to win, but I just think the Satyrs will get over them. I just can't see it. Like the Highlanders, unfortunately, just don't have the experience this year. They've yeah, only got sort of one or two All Blacks in their in their lineup, and the lack of experience is really just showing through in these these games. And the Super Rugby, like this, is the hardest comp in the world. You're playing a New Zealand team every single week, mm-hmm. and if if mm-hmm. you're not if you're not someone like the Crusaders or the Blues, you're going to get pumped. So, yep. 
How weird that you're saying the blues in that sentence now. I know. Uh, <laughs> okay. Why don't we finish this here and move to our chat with Brett about the Australian comp. Cool. Let's do it. Okay. Let's move into the next segment now where we have the wonderful Brett Mackay from the Raw ABC Grandstand journalist along with us. Brett, how you doing? I'm, I'm well, guys. Um, I'm going to put you up here. So I'm, oh, McKay. I'm, a, I'm a McKay. I'm a McKay, in fact. Oh, I'm so sorry. My wife is uh, a Mackay. Right. My yeah, wife right. literally is a Mackay. So I apologize profusely. No. Is, Does she is, spell is the same way? Yeah, exactly the same. There you go. <laughs> this, is, this, is where, this is where anarchy starts. <laughs> Everything burns down from here. What's, um, well, what's, um, reg- what's, what's, really, what's really weird is that when I was, when I was growing up, I was, the, way it, the way it was explained to me was that M-A-C-K-A-Y was Mackay and our way was Mackay. And that was all fine and good until I, in my early 20s, started discovering Mackay spelled the same way as me. And yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> there you go. Well, these are so, the challenges so that we have to deal with. No, this, this is important. Um, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, regardless, it is awesome to have you on, mate. Um, for those of you who may not know you, can you just give us a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, that kind of thing? Um, yeah, uh, good question. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a rugby writer, commentator, um, broadcaster, work um, full-time for the ABC um, in TV, radio, um, a little bit online as well. Um, and, um, and I'm a rugby fan and I can't wait for this weekend if I'm completely honest. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be so good. <laughs> it, it helps really that is. you're a Brumbies fan as well. I mean, you've had a lot, lot to enjoy at the start of the season and you must have pretty high hopes going into this new competition too. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think it's, I think you'd be doing pretty well if you can mount an argument that they don't start favourites. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but with that comes weight of expectation as well. Um, you know, they were, they were comfortably the best team in Australia um, up until mid-March when, the, when we all shut down. And yeah. they, were genu- they, were, they were genuinely in line to, to contend, I'm quite sure. They weren't, um, you know, like, but they were running, what, second behind the Crusaders. So yeah. yep. um, they, were, they were going to give it a good lick, I think, this year. Well, uh, why don't we kind of kick things off? You just mentioned the Crusaders there, and I'm assuming, since you're a rugby fan, that you've been watching the Super Rugby Aotearoa. And one of the things that I wanted to... Mitch, I might just throw across to you and yeah, then sure. across to Brad. Um, Mitch, the Blues won again this weekend. That's three from three. Has it that, is. Is that much of a surprise for you? It was, actually, yeah. So, I mean, not this game particularly, but their form coming back into this competition, into the new sort of um, New Zealand domestic comp has been really surprising. The, the last few years, they definitely have been sort of struggling to find some form of consistent... Um, standard that they've been going for and and they've finally sort of hit those straps now so it yeah i definitely didn't expect them to be three from three in the first few rounds right what's your take on the blues why do you think they're experiencing so much success in the early days i'm pretty sure it's despite me personally because um i've been (laughs) (laughs) i've been down down trotting uh down talking the blues for i reckon the best part of a decade um and it's been quite enjoyable i must admit but uh they've been going incredibly well this year and it's it's actually really hard to pin what's changed from you know, mid-March to, to now because certainly their, their squad hasn't really changed. Yes, Bowden Barrett's been in and around and training, but he hasn't made them you know, suddenly genu- you know, a genuinely good, very, very good team. Um, oh, yeah. Dan, Car- Dan Carter's around, but again, he hasn't actually played for them yet. They'd be getting He's plenty a water out boy. of him. <laughs> and maybe one of the best water boys on the planet, I'm sure. 
Um, but you know, he's not running the set plays there for him. He's not telling him, you know, where to, where to attack from or anything like that. So, you know, that's, it's, it's all, it's just all really clicked for them. Um, and you talked about consistency before they've been woefully consistently inconsistent for, yeah. the, for, for a lot of the, that last decade that I talk about, but there was signs this year that things were starting to fall into place and where, you know, in previous years, they, would almost certainly have shelled games that they led by 10 with 15 minutes to play. Now they're going on with it. Um, and they were, they were really clinical um, and have been really clinical for the last, the last three weeks, particularly uh, mm-hmm. since Aotearoa has started. Um, and they've been great to watch. And, and with that comes the Eden Park crowd is coming back. And, and that's been one of the great travesties about New Zealand games is that we'd be, you know, there'd be 12,000 people at Eden Park and it holds, what, 55,000? Like it's yeah. similar sort of size to, to, uh, to Suncorp in Brisbane. And there's no one there. Uh, it's, and it, was, it was long the issue with Super Rugby that until, you know, Auckland and Sydney and Johannesburg, you know, the three big cities in the three countries ever got competitive, like the, yep. that, that was where the long-term inconsistency had been. The fact that the Blues are now hitting their, hitting their, um, uh, hitting their stride um, can only be good. New Zealand rugby in general. Um, and what's worse, it means that I'm tipping them now. And I'm even starting to tip them with a bit of confidence. And I'm, this is why I'm saying I'm sure they're winning just despite me. Well, I'm sure if you start tipping them uh, on a raw, they're going to start losing. So we'll just well, have to see. Well, they haven't so far. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for it. They haven't lost so far, <laughs> but I am absolutely waiting for it. And there are a lot of Blues fans on the raw that are waiting for the day as well. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that I want to attribute the success of the boys to is Bowden Barrett, but realistically he didn't play at all at the start of the season. And the last three games have been his first three games for the boys. And one of the things I've kind of noticed is that it's not the Bowden Barrett show, Bowden Barrett mm. show at the blues. Um, it's without a doubt, a Terra black at 10 who is running the backline moves and running the plays, but where Barrett seems to be putting himself forward is in the transition moments. So the moments where there's a quick mm. turnover, then that's where Barrett steps up and is, the one directing passage and play and so i just wonder if that's if he's deliberately underplaying his hands so that that can't by shutting bowden barrett down that's not shutting the boys down they're keeping options open and having multiple playmakers from multiple points and directions across the park oh, i think that's a, that's a really good assessment of it um there I, and I think there's actually two parts to it. I'm sure a lot of it would be Barrett wanting to absolutely underplay his hand so that, um, you know, it's not all about him and look what Bowden Barrett's done for the Blues and all that sort of thing. He, he'd be wanting just to find his feet, get himself sorted out in this, in this new team that, you know, again, for, for, for 10 years, he's been, you know, quite enjoying beating the Blues, I'm quite sure. Now he's <laughs> direct, directing the team around. Um, and he'd have, he'd have been conscious of the fact that, uh, that, that O'Teddy Black has, has played for the Hurricanes, moved to Auckland to get away from Bowden Barrett, and suddenly, <laughs> suddenly just as he has started to find himself comfortable in the number 10 up there in Auckland, um, Bowden arrives back in town. I think they're playing really well as a 10-15 combination. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that Barrett underplaying things, uh, he, he's happy to sort of take the attention, if you like, in defence, and that in itself is allowing... Teddy Black to actually direct the team around and he's playing, he's starting to play with more and more confidence. His goal kicking is really good. Um, and you're spot on. Um, Barrett is, is leading the, uh, the, the, the broken field play. Um, and suddenly the blues are, are you know, they're, they're looking like 
the Highlanders of 2015, aren't they? The, you know, the Hurricanes of their championship year. They look really, really dangerous um, in broken play. And um, yeah, no, no doubt Bowden Barrett's a big part of that. Well, I think one of the big talking points aside from kind of the return of some of the All Blacks players into this comp was the refereeing in the first few weeks of the competition. Mitch, as a club level referee, there seems to have been a bit of a difference between week two and week three of the comp. What was your takeaway on that difference? Yeah, I found this week particularly that it seemed more like the players have sort of adjusted to the new rules and Mm -hmm. there definitely wasn't the amount of penalties being blown and that wasn't just because the referees weren't blowing the whistle for them but the players weren't sort of coming in at the side and going off their feet as much as they kind of were in the first week or two so the blues game particularly was very fast and the ruck ball was incredibly fast like the players would get tackled go to ground and it was out again straight away it was almost like a league game really how quick that the ball was just being recycled and the oppositions just weren't contesting that breakdown unless they knew that they had a chance of turning it over. The only times the opposition were contesting that breakdown was when they had a chance of pilfering the ball. One of the points that I thought was pretty interesting was that um, in, in weeks one and two, when the player was tackled and they hit the ground, there was this huge impetus or emphasis by the referee that they had to play the ball immediately. You couldn't be doing any of that little creeping along the ground, any of the rolling an extra two or three times to mean that your support players could actually get there in time. It was a quick play of the ball. Now, in this week, I think the refs were a lot more lenient on that because I actually saw a whole bunch more... Um, a few more rolls, a few more kind of holding on to it and then releasing. Hmm. Um, I just think that maybe there was some direction from on top to just, to just settle down on a couple of the points. I think the offside line was still pretty um, harshly in in a positive way, harshly educated, but that was kind of my take. Brett, what were your thoughts about the refereeing this week? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's all pretty accurate. And I think in the the Crusaders Chiefs game in Christchurch, where it was wet and horrendous, basically, I think there was, uh, I think the defensive team uh, were definitely allowed to have a bit, a little bit more latitude on the on the ball, but equally the attacking <laughs> team also were allowed uh, were also allowed a little bit more time just to to get set and to play it backwards. So I think you're I think you're right there. I actually think the biggest adjustment though is 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 the players and the coaches. And I think they were perhaps caught a little bit unawares or, or maybe weren't quite realising to what extent the breakdown focus would come in round one. And that was why we saw, you know, what was it, 20, 28 and 32 tackle, 32 penalties in the two yeah. games, something like that. So it, it, was, it was a big number. But even in round two, I think, there had been a bit of an adjustment, and then you're right. Um, yeah, the the uh, the Blues Highlanders game on um, on Saturday night was was a cracker because it was actually played really well. Both teams had to be accurate, otherwise they were being pinged. And I don't mind that. I think that's actually the way the laws have always been written, but mm-hmm. just perhaps haven't been adjudicated. So I think that's been um, that's that's been a a good evolution, I think, and. And and I and I think that it just proves that, you know, that, that that a good game, a good spectacle of rugby's always been there. It's just been about the way those laws have always been adjudicated. 
I think what that leads to is some really big questions about how Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere rugby is going to be looking different over the next six to 12 months. <laughs> and I don't really want to get into that now because it's not the focus of this chat, but it's an interesting thing to be considering is how uh, Southern Hemisphere teams will adjust to a Northern Hemisphere ref even more so mm. than it has been in the past. Um, Brett, I might stick it'd, with it'd you. Be, it'd, be really, it'd be really interesting just to, just to throw in on yep. that. It'd be really interesting if suddenly the Pro 14 competition said, you know what, that's actually a really good way of playing it that's how we're going to referee it yep mm. and, and then and then that, and then that dynamic changes completely so yeah that'll be interesting yeah yeah well let's see how that tracks through but brett i might stick with you and just ask if you were to try and identify maybe two players that had been that had stood out to you from the first three weeks in new zealand comp uh who would they be and why um, um i reckon Oh, certainly uh, Hoskins Satutu, the, the, the Blues number eight. Uh, we saw a little bit of him uh, in the first seven rounds and he was and he was good without being spectacular, I suppose. But I think you could say that about the Blues in general. Um, these last three weeks, he's been an absolute wrecking ball to the, you know, to the point where you, yeah, you start thinking of all the, you know, the great all-black number eights of, of recent times, and you start thinking, well, if Kieran Reid is moving on, well, he's this guy ready to go, and he's played, you know, not many Super Rugby games at all. Um, yeah. He's been absolutely fantastic. Um, I'd been, I've been reasonably impressed with Mitch Hunt down at the Highlanders, but I think he's still a little yeah. bit prone to being a little bit flaky, and so that sort of guides me back to the Blues. Um, and again, and Blues fans on the raw won't let me forget this. Um, <laughs> that you know, Caleb Clark has been really, really good uh, on the, on the left yep. wing. Had a had an absolute storm of a game um, there against the the Highlanders on um, on Saturday night, and just again, you can see a player growing in confidence um, each week. And, and and through a game, you know, he's by the end of the game there on Saturday, he, he was he was not so much you know, accelerating through gaps as, as he was absolutely smashing through them. Yeah. He was, you know, just yeah. loves loves the contact. His speed was good. His timing was good. And so every time he got the ball, he looked really dangerous. Um, so, yep. yeah, he's th- those those two, um, Satutu and, uh, and Caleb Clark, and, and they're, they're getting a lot of, a lot of go forward for the Blues, which in turn is creating quick ball, uh, which in turn is creating broken play ball, which brings Barrett into play. Mm-hmm. All of that li- adds up to them being um, a much improved side. Mitch, how about you? Two players. Yeah, um, Caleb Clark was my first one. So he's he's just. Been, <laughs> I think we're all going to say that. Yep. He's been really good. Like his transition from sevens to fifteens has been seamless. Yeah. So that's the other thing that he's just adapted to this this new format so well, and he's he's really he does bring that seven style in that he just runs so hard every time he has the ball, but he's also such a big ball runner as well that he can break through those tackles. So he's yeah. I'm definitely impressed by him. I'm also been impressed by Atero Black at ten for the Blues, yep. um, because as well I haven't seen much of him in the past, and he's just really come forward as a as the dominant sort of ten in the the New Zealand comp at the moment. Um, I'm just really enjoying watching New Zealand rugby. I mean, previously I would just focus on the Australian teams because I have limited time in my weekends, so I watch the Aussie teams. But now that there is literally nothing else on. I'm really enjoying getting to know a bunch more of the New Zealand players and teams and the styles of play. And I think it's just opening my mind, my eyes up a bit more to what New Zealand rugby can offer. Um, Although knowing how much they've smashed us in the past isn't really that surprising. (laughs) But um, (laughs) my two players, I was going to say Caleb Clark, but I won't say that because you pick someone else. 
I think Rico Ioannis made a really, really strong transition to number 13. Um, aside from just being kind of one of the back three players around the wing, I think his dominance at 13 and his power and speed in the tackle is just really setting the Blues up really well. Um, he's also quite a physical defender and happy to be taking the big contacts. So that's working well for them in defensive players as well. Um, the other player, which is probably not a surprise, he's not like an up and comer, but is Aaron Smith. I think he's yeah. cementing himself as if you, if people had any doubts or, previously as the best halfback in the world yeah and the in my opinion the reason why he's there at the moment is because his fitness and his motor just to keep going around the park for the whole 80 minutes is incredible but you'll often find with um scrum halves as their uh as the game tires kind of 60 minutes onward the accuracy of their service begins to uh, to, to wane, diminish. Mm. And also the decision-making once they're at the ruck sometimes slows down. His doesn't. He continues to operate at such a high-quality standard throughout the whole game. Uh, he has just really impressed me that he can keep up and keep delivering in this really fast-paced style of rugby that we're seeing in this competition. Mm. And, and I, the, the, I guess the, um, the, the add-on to that is you, you, you see how important Aaron Smith is for the Highlanders at the moment when they are lacking a little bit of yes, uh, experience. They're la- lacking a little bit of X, X factor as well. I think Joshua one is going to be a very good 10, but he's just not quite there yet. And so you look at how late in games Aaron Smith is replaced as compared to, say, uh, uh, Brad Weber at the Chiefs. Um, or Bryn, Bryn Hall, the Crusaders, um, you know, uh, even TJ Perinara at, um, uh, at the Canes, um, you know, it's often it's well into the 70s, 70, 70s uh, yeah, before Aaron Smith comes off. So, um, yeah, whereas, um, you know, Bryn Hall and, and, and Mitchell Drummond at the um, Crusaders, they, it's, it's almost a set format. It's 45-35 no matter who starts. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's the big thing about Aaron Smith at the moment. And he's spot on with what you're saying there before. Well, why don't we move now to the Super Rugby AU? And there was a reason why we're talking about the New Zealand comp is because there's going to be a large amount of, in my opinion, transference of some of the rule, law interpretations, rule interpretations from the New Zealand to the Oz. But before we get to that, um, I just want to throw it to both of you. I, I would really love you to rank first to fifth in the AU comp. And so, Mitch, I know we spoke about this briefly last week, so I'll give Brett a moment to think. Yeah. Um, Mitch, can you give us your one to five again quickly? I don't even remember which ones I went with, but let's just go well, off the top. We'll say go again and number let's one. see if it's the same. Number one, Brumbies. Number two, Reds. Three, Rebels. Four, Force. And five, Tars. Ooh, okay. Force and a Tars. Brett, how about you? Yeah, well, I've actually just done this exercise just in the last um, two days, both on, uh, on on Twitter and I've um, I've done it for for a for Rora article this week as well. So I'm similar but slightly different. I'm I'm Brumbies, Rebels, Reds, Force, Waratahs. I think the Reds just I think they will feel the loss of Isaac Rodder in particular. I, I think that will that that will certainly hit them in the uh, in the tight five department um and i've just got so many question marks over the waratahs at the moment um, i think they're <laughs> i think I, we all I, do I think they're, yeah yeah i mean i was surprised they let curly bill go um yeah i, I really am I, 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 get, I get the long-serving player argument and all that sort of thing but i was just really surprised they let him go and then 
it's only a few days after that that Damien Fitzpatrick announces his retirement. And then it's only yep. a few days after that that we learn that Rory O'Connor, who's a really, really good prop, young coming yeah. prop, um, is basically walking away from professional rugby. He's going to um, yep. finish his university studies. Civil engineering so, degree, yeah. Civil engineering degree, yeah, exactly right. So all of a sudden now there's, you know, they're, in terms of leadership, they've got an, an experience that's the likes of Rob Simmons, Carmichael Hunt, I suppose, who, who are their elder statesmen, if you like. Um, but they've effectively been carrying them all year. So it's yeah. it's the guys, for, for me, it's the the Jake Gordons, the Jack Dempseys, the Jed Holloways, the Tom Staniforth, those those guys um, who have been around long enough. They've all played, you know, plus or minus 50 or 60 games. They've got to be playing a hell of a lot better than that when they are. And then when you start rattling off the names like that, you then wonder why on earth you've got question marks about the Waratahs because on yeah. paper, they're, a, they're still a decent side, yet... Everything that they were doing in the first part of this year was whatever Will Harrison could drum up, uh, or it was you know whatever uh, you know, Mark Nwanganikawazi could could do on the wing. Um, you know they've got to get more out of Jack Maddox. They've got to work out who's going to play outside centre going forward. Um, and I just wonder in a in a ten week eight game competition, how many of those questions will still remain at the end of it? Well, they've also well, um, announced that they've they're letting go of uh, Mac Mason at the end of the year, so that puts question oh, yeah. marks as well as how much game time he's going to get. He's and not getting he's any. Still in, he's still in Queensland. He's still in yeah. Queensland. So, and won't won't be coming back at all. So, so then, who's the backup number ten after Will Harrison? Was it Donaldson? Well, it's, it's probably Ben Donaldson, who we've seen yeah. a little bit off the bench. Um, he's a he's a decent fullback as well. Um, and Harrison and Donaldson have played together since they were kids, basically. So both. Um, uh, both, yeah, it certainly came through the age age ranks. We saw a little bit of Donaldson at 15 during the NRC last year. Um, but um, it certainly feels like Will Harrison is, has got a, uh, an absolute mortgage on the uh, on the Waratahs number 10 there in much the same yeah. way that Bernard Foley did, which in, in itself was why Mac Mason got, what, three games in three seasons. And yeah. I think yeah. in, in time, um, well, well, in time we'll either forget about Mac Mason completely or we'll recognise him as, you know, maybe one of the most disappointing cases of uh, talent development we've seen in recent years. Mm. 100%. And I think that what's so sad about that is this should have been his season. And oh, if, he wasn't, if, he, if he wasn't treated so poorly at the end of last season, like the Tars were out of it, and yet Gibson continued to refuse to give him games. And mm. even when the, Australia, the Wallabies players like Foley were meant to be getting breaks and time off, Gibson still played Foley and Mason yeah. didn't get any time until he was thrown in against, was it the Satyrs? Away no, it was home? the, um, yeah. they, he also played the game against the Sunwolves. Played the Sunwolves yeah. up in, yep. up in Newcastle. Yeah. yeah. And then they yeah. went over and Which played the Crusaders at home and they lost both yeah. of those games. Yeah. So, yeah. and so, and, and Mitch and I actually went to the trial game against the Highlanders. The Tars had at Leichhardt Oval or Concord Oval. One of the two. Um, and Leichhardt, thank you. <clears throat> And yeah, he did his groin in, in the first half there and he just didn't see him again. And so I agree the the story of Mac Mason is pretty tragic. And I just, I don't know, I wish the best for him in whatever he does and if he is able to get back into rugby. Um, but let's just stick with the Tars for a sec. And Brett, you've talked down the Waratahs for some pretty good reasons. Uh, both Mitch and I are Waratahs fans and everything you've said, we've kind of said 
Um, what do you think it would take for the Waratahs to consider their season a success? If they could, if they could scrape into that second v third playoff, they would have to see that as a success because, um, and it, and again, you look at the team on paper, and that shouldn't be you know, like that shouldn't be out of the, out of the question for them, but. The way they're playing at the moment, um, Rob Penny's in his first season, obviously, so he's still trying to stamp his mark on the side. But he's just spent the last three months away from the team. He's yeah. only just got back into Sydney within the last month. So any work that they've been doing has been with the assistant coaches. Um, they've they've moved Phil Bailey on as as a defensive coach. So Jason Gilmore, who's the under twenty Australian under twenties coach, has come in on loan effectively from, uh, from rugby Australia. So if he's got any tweaks that he needs to make to the defense, it's going to have to happen on the run. They're going to be learning this on the job. So mm-hmm. if they can somehow find a way to scrape together enough wins to, to, to crawl into that second versus third playoff, then it would be a hugely successful, I, th- I think campaign. Um, because I think there is some genuine concerns about them and, and how many of those, 50, 60 game players that we mentioned before are potentially already eyeing off a, um, you know, an exit clause out of Super Rugby. We, we, we don't, we don't know, but but you wonder about them. There's certainly yeah. talk about, you know, the like Madison Robertson, Tom Robertson have already been mentioned as potential candidates for Major League Rugby in the states. Um, you know, if Major League Rugby in the states is going to start picking off that caliber of players, then you can absolutely be assured that the likes of Dempsey, Stanaforth, Holloway are going to be in the same sort of boat. So um, those, that's why I say those guys have really got to step up in this competition. And um, if the Waratahs are going to, you know, try and build anything in for, for, for 2021 in whatever format the competition's got to be, it's, it's got to be around that core group of players. So the sooner they can come together as a side and start winning and playing well together, uh, the better off the Waratahs will be. One of the things that uh, I got to watch last week was a replay of the final game of the Force when they played the Waratahs over in Mm. Perth. And it was just incredible to watch the passion and a feeling with which the Force played. And a a couple of times near the end of the game, it was like 77th minute, there were these little scuffles that were breaking out. Poor Ned Hannigan was just getting monstered by the Force (laughs) forwards. And there are these little comments and chats of, oh, you're on 2 million or something like that being directed towards hoops. And it just made me think how tense and how much feeling there's going to be with the force back in the Mm. super rugby competition um so mitch i'm going to throw to you mate what do you what are you expecting from the force this season and then i might get brett's thoughts after that be completely honest i'm really not sure what to expect um on the one hand they're aside the majority of their side are sort of nrc level players who've been playing a little bit of that global rapid rugby. So they're not quite up to the standard of super rugby. We have had a few of the um, big marquee international players come back in John O'Lance and Carl Godwin and a few of those guys. So hopefully that brings a little bit more of uh, experience and sort of leadership to the, to the team. Um, I'm not sure how they'll go, but on the other, on the other hand, they've played under, they're the only team in this competition that have played under some of these new rules. So they played yeah. in the NRC last year and they, they won it. So they're familiar with the... Um, won, the won it comfortably too. Yeah. They're <laughs> yep. familiar with the 50-22. They're familiar with the... I can't remember if they used the goal line. 
they held up. Yep, they did. They held up. Definitely yeah, did. so yep. they yep. they do have the experience that none of the other Super Rugby teams have. So that might give them, particularly in the first few games, few first two rounds, that will give them a leg up. Mm-hmm. And that that it's such a tight tight competition. It's so short that if they if they can get a good start, that could get them in good stead to to go far in the competition. Brett, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and I, and I agree agree with all that. Um, and the Global Rap and Rugby played with a 40-22 kick as well. So even before the NRC bought the 50-22 in last year, they'd been playing with it before then as well. So they certainly know their way um, around that. Um, I think bringing Greg Holmes back up front, bringing John Lance back in at 10, you would expect Kyle Goblin in midfield. Um, they're just... Like they're just really canny, smart acquisitions that just is going to shore up a few areas of concern. And then, um, you know, Chris Alcock has, re- has retired. He's finally yeah. succumbed to injuries, which, you know, we probably felt like he was going to do three or four times over the course of his career. <laughs> um, and you feel like they'll miss him, but they've, they've also bought Kane Koteka back from Japan, who's, a um, you know, Perth, no, he's not. I was going to say born and bred. He's not born and bred in Perth, but he's certainly grew up in in, in Perth. Played all his junior rugby over there. Um, played for the Force, of course, and he's a really strong on ball flanker as well. So he'll slot in there fairly seamlessly. I, I reckon they'll they'll go all right. It's just going to be how quick Tim Sampson can pull all those new guys into the team. Um, they've all got a degree, with the exception of Greg Holmes. They've all got a bit of a um, They've all, they've all got a connection and a pass with the force, so they know they know about how 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 passionate they're all going to be. There will be a little bit in the background. I don't think there'll be too much, but there'll be a little bit of hey, remember us? We're back to you know claim your scalp sort of thing. Yeah. There'll be a little bit of that. There's a because a, a few of those guys, um, you know, Ian Pryor, Heath Testman, those those guys were in the force squad back in at the end of 2017 when they when they uh, when they were left out of out of Super Rugby. So. I wouldn't say there'll be scores to settle, but um, there'll be there could be a bit of angst there. Particularly, I mean, I think the Force Rebels game could be that's going to be really that's going to be an awesome one. Yeah, it will be. It will be. So look, I just I I think the Force have got the freedom of playing without expectation because the genuine the general feeling is that they will probably run run fifth. I, I think they've just got a couple of scalps in them. And that's why I've got them running fourth at the moment. So, yeah. yeah cool. And I, it wouldn't at all surprise me if they happen to win one of their first two or three games. I yeah. just think they'll, they'll, something will go right for them and they'll, they'll win it. And, you know, the, the stories are right themselves after that. <laughs> Makes your job easier, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yes. One of the interesting things we've been considering is how the Australian teams are going to, um, cope with new interpretations mm. or particularly around kind of defensive lines and the ruck officiating. Now, my personal take on this is that they have the three weeks of New Zealand comp um, and they hope you would assume that everybody's been adjusting the style of play and the coaching yeah. methods to reflect that. Um, we had the opportunity to speak to Liam Wright last week and he said, pretty much a similar thing that the Reds have been getting some pretty close input from some of the referees who are based out of Ballymore who have been kind of, yeah, just talking to them about the speed and accuracy required. Um, how do we think, I'll start with you, Brett. How do you think the Australian teams are going to cope with new rule interpretations? Yeah, I, I think they'll be all right. Um, and and 
I'm glad Liam Wright has, has said that last week because I wasn't sure whether Queensland had done something like that. I expected they had, but I wasn't sure if they have. And the reason I bring that up is because I know the Waratahs and Rebels both had Angus Gardner yeah. um, mm-hmm. take control of the intra-squad game. Um, the Brumbies played an intra-squad game here on Friday with uh, with Ruben Keane, who's a, a locally-based um, uh, ref on the, um, on the Australian panel. Um, so they've all had presentations from the referees. They've all had uh, in-game simulation. They've all had intra-squad type, um, type setups with referees in the middle. So I think they'll actually be fairly well used to it by the time they actually get to it because they have seen it. They have got three weeks worth of video from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the Brumbies intra-squad game there on Friday for about like, 25 minutes, half an hour. And I reckon I saw maybe two, maybe three uh, ruck penalties um, that, you mm-hmm. know, that, that were, that were just, you know, just, just guys not quite right in their timing. So, you know, con- compare that to what we saw in the, uh, you know, round one of New Zealand where, <laughs> where yeah. in half an hour, they would have been, there would have been, you know, eight or 10 penalties probably. So I, I reckon they'll be all right. Um, what will, where the teething problems will be, will be um, the new tactical kicking allowances. So, yeah. uh, you know, f- yeah, I spare a thought for the first fullback who tries to claim a mark for a kick <laughs> inside the attacking 22 and he can just get absolutely laid out and play on. <laughs> it's, it'll, be, it'll, be, um, it'll be a little bit of, of old school almost. Um, so how that all works, I think, will be, will be really interesting. The, um, uh, the line dropouts, we, we know, you know they've, they've worked pretty well in the past. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll all come together pretty well. There'll be a little bit of adjustment and I suspect that they'll be better for it um, for the second and third game, but I, I reckon it won't be too bad uh, from, uh, from round one this weekend. Well, I think we might uh, finish that part there and move on to the final section. Okay, Brett, now I think we're going to finish up the chat about the kind of rugby competitions itself there. So thank you for your insights. But one of the things we really like to do when we have guests on is ask them some specific questions about their role or in your case, your particular job. So when we had Harry Johnson Holmes on, he loved to chat about kind of dark arts, front row shenanigans that happen within a game. (laughs) Um, Liam Wright, we got to get down into some of the nuances of blindside, open side flankers and what he is looking for within the, the, the matches that's unfolding to try, yeah, to try and actually be getting those pilfers. So I wanted to ask you about journalism and kind of particularly sports journalism, if you don't yeah. mind. So can I just start with a pretty simple one? Was sports journalism something you always wanted to get into or did you fall into it? No, it, no, it certainly wasn't something I wanted to get into it. And it's been a very, a very late thing for me. Um, I was the, um, I was a government IT worker for, for yeah. 15 years um, and had, and, Decided to, decided to have a career change about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, and that was partly because around about the time I discovered the Raw, funnily enough, I started mm-hmm. writing for them, found that I really enjoyed it, found that they went pretty well. The Raw then asked me to start writing weekly columns and they started paying me for it. Oh, this is actually right. pretty cool. <laughs> but I was sort of, I was torn back then because um, the, 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 the payment for it wasn't enough to suddenly, you know, drop back to four days a week as an IT contractor, and equally, I didn't have more time to write more. So it was, I was, it was, in a, it was a real bind that I was in. And then, as it turns out, the end of uh, 2012, I had a, a contract finished six months on early on me, and so 
that was the opportunity if there was the time to to do it mm-hmm. um, to, go, to go and see if I could, what, I, what I could make of freelancing then I then that was the time to do it so I did um, worked pretty hard for, um, for 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 not a whole lot for a couple of years um, and then started doing more and more for the ABC in terms of commentary and then that led to a bit of um, uh, well I was, I was a pun first and then that led to commentary uh, and then that started led to a bit of um, actually radio producing and then ultimately it's it's into this um, this, this current role that I've, I've had now for a couple of years um, so so no journalism certainly was not on my radar but I did find that once I got into it um, that I just loved it and wanted to do more and more of it. Um, uh, commentary really got me into it. That really allowed me to start getting into the depths of things. Um, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the one thing I've missed most about um, this this shutdown, having no sport, is that I haven't been able to sit on a sideline and, yeah. and, and watch a yep. game. So yep. I'm really looking forward to that that Saturday night. Um, and and yeah, that's, that's how I sort of all fell into it. Um, I, I the the, the, joke, the joke I have made since making the making the switch is that I uh, for a long time was working three times as hard for a third of the money and you know <laughs> we're still working I'm probably making a little bit more money than I was when I, when I first started but um, yeah you certainly don't get into um, into journalism and certainly not sports journalism for the money that's for sure. <laughs> So that actually, aside from the financial challenges of sports journalism, are there things that, say, Mitch and I as regular kind of punters and rugby lovers, are there challenges within your role that we may not realise looking at it from the outside? Um, oh, yeah, there, there are. I mean, the, 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 the classic one is, is, you know, how... How like how strong an opinion can you can you carry? And you've got to. I mean, if you if you're writing an opinion piece, you've obviously got to be able to back it up. Um, but it's also that's also easy to back up if you're somewhat known and somewhat respected. You know, if mm-hmm. if you know, I'm sure I'm sure opinions that I'm expressing now are a whole lot more you know um, accepted or or even or even anticipated if you like uh, than was the case 10 years ago 10 years ago it would have been who is this guy um, and you know it might that's might still be the case to a degree now but um that yeah that that's that's the challenge and certainly when you when you're starting out and you're wanting to you know the the, the temptation will be to go to the extreme and you know that was the worst piece that was the worst game i've ever seen and this guy is the worst player and the most overrated and, all, and you can't you can't maintain that because if everything is the absolute best you've seen or the absolute worst you've seen, then where do you go yeah, exactly. when, when something genuinely bad happens? So, so finding that balance in terms of not just your opinions, but the way you express them yeah. um, is, is, is something that maybe isn't, isn't recognized. And then just creating, cr- creating a stab- like, like establishing relationships is really, really important. And so um, it means that you do have to, you know, go and have a have a coffee with a media manager as, as, as often as you as often as you can. I'll still I'll still do that now um, because you know it's not that they'll suddenly deliver you a massive scoop, but it's the background info that you might get, and 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 it might it might be nothing for uh, for a few weeks, but but in a month's time, you know, a player will do something in a game, and you go, well, actually, it's because he's been nursing this little ankle injury that I first yeah. heard about three weeks ago. Um, you know, it's that that's the little thing, and. 
and it sort of it becomes it becomes self fulfilling if you like. You know, when when clubs and organisations you know, recognise who you are and they know that you're not out there to stitch them up, then they will be more forthcoming with what they tell you. Um, and then you know that that can the other the other extreme of that is that if you don't go hard enough, then there's there's still comments out there. And there's there's comments on the raw even you know in the last week or so that oh you must be paid by Rugby Australia if you believe that. <laughs> which I mean is about as it's about as weak an argument as as, as it gets. Of course, uh, yep. but there'll always there'll always be those who who believe that that you know unless your unless your worldview completely aligns with theirs, then you're obviously being paid to say what you're being said. So uh, you know, look, you're never going to please everyone all the time, um, but at the same time, and I think I'm pretty proud of the way that I've been able to. Um, right in a way that a lot of people like and a lot of people like to engage with. Um, and that's certainly kept me fairly busy for the best part of a decade. So that's, that's worked out well. What you were saying there about the trust with the media managers, um, the rugby ruckus, I don't know the guy's name, but he used to be based at the Waratahs. He was a media yeah, manager ben, of the ben Waratahs. Ben Kimber. So, so not Ben Kimber, Ben and Morgan Tierney did an interview with a guy who was a media manager. Um, uh, Broker Jurassen. Uh, yeah, that one, yep. that guy. Yeah. Um, thank you. So one of the things that he was saying is that he really, uh, he really valued the relationship with rugby journalists, particularly because he knew that they were there to do a role, that they weren't inherently out there to just do like a hit piece on a player, mm. and that he could, as long as the relationship was positive and it kind of worked both ways, depend on them to write something that was honest but not kind of not defamatory, but not, not just taking scalps for the sake of it. Whereas he found that when he had other people like rugby league writers or just people who didn't even cover sports, but were just there for the hot take, yeah. then mm. often that dynamic was really challenging. So one of, that's kind of a long winded lead into this question of we've seen a whole bunch of um, rugby journalists, particularly at Fox sports get cut over the last few months. Um, we've had a lot of people losing jobs and off the top of my head as I was preparing for tonight, I could really only think from the major newspapers of Georgina Robinson and Tom Deason as the two major mm. rugby writers. And there probably are more, but I just can't think of them. Um, what do you say? There, are, there, aren't, the- there aren't many more for, for what it's oh, worth. Um, and well, no, well, only a few more. Um, and, uh, and I actually went through a similar sort of Twitter discussion only a few weeks ago uh, okay. when, yeah, they, they, obviously, yeah, we, we knew about, there's been several rounds of, of Fox Sports cuts um, over, over this year alone. Um, and it had had reason to actually start thinking about, you know, how many like full-time rugby beat writers there are effectively in the, in the papers. And there really are, only are Georgina and Tom at the City Morning Herald Jamie Pendram at the, uh, at the Daily Telegraph, um, uh, Wayne Smith at the Australian, um, and in that I also included um, Jim Tucker at the Courier Mail. But Jim's just finished up at the Courier Mail this weekend, just just okay. gone, funnily enough. Um, and you can, and and in on top of that, you can add in the likes of Sam Bruce at the SBN, um, Roy Ward down in Melbourne for the Age, but he also does. Um, basketball and the Melbourne Storm down there. Um, Nick Taylor over in Western Australia covers the force really, really well, but he also does a bit of um, a bit of sports that aren't AFL <laughs> for, the, for the West Australian. <laughs> yep. um, and, uh, and Julian Linden for the, for the Daily, Daily Telegraph does a bit of um, a bit of rugby as well as as well as other stuff as well. So 
realistically, we're talking about a dozen, if you like. Um, yeah. and, you know, and that number is certainly, is certainly shrinking. There's a few extra writers around, which, which I would fall into um, as well. But in terms of rugby commentators, if you like, either you know, spoken or written within Australia, it's probably maybe 20 or 25. It's not many. It's like it's not many at all, um, and that I think becomes challenging in a year like what we've just had, when uh, for a good number of months you had to look pretty far and wide. Uh, you had to dig pretty deep to find a good news story because there just weren't many good news stories there for a long while, um, and that was getting frustrating, you know, for me to read even because um, you know some of the I think some of the narratives, and I think we all recognise the news limited uh, reporting mm-hmm. there for a few yep. months when. Uh, when the Foxtel, then uh, the Fox Sports negotiations were were ongoing and everything that was playing out around Rugby Australia, I don't think there was much hiding the agenda that that some of the news limited papers were running. And uh, it's 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 really I'd love to have known what the media guys at Rugby Australia were were, were doing at, at the time uh, because yep. you know those sorts of stories wouldn't have been coming from them obviously, but they would have been having to deal with the the fallout and the flack. Um, and I certainly don't don't envy that of them because it got pretty ugly there for a while well those negative stories kind of lead me to my question that i'd love to get your thoughts on as somebody that's in journalism with these many that many people being reduced either the whole role is taken away or they're covering multiple sports at the one time we're seeing a reduction in quality journalism for rugby mm. union what do you think uh, so the short-term impacts in my opinion would be if we have so there's a reduction of the good news stories that are coming out or when something major is happening like all the issues over the last two months we don't have a large number of differing viewpoints to provide varying perspectives what do you think are the longer term impacts of this change upon Mm. rugby yeah um longer term i actually think there's a bit of an opportunity um and i think everything that's happening for rugby at the moment is also happening for, for football, particularly around the A-League, because for as many rugby riders as we've seen, um, you know, finish up with their, with their papers, um, there's been football riders go as well. I mean, just, just this week, we heard Simon, Simon Hill, Hill won't, be, won't be back at Fox Sports. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Craig Foster went of his own decision from SBS, but um, certainly Simon Hill, it was a case of his contract not being renewed. Yeah. Um, so... What I think, I think rugby fans have, over the last few years anyway, they have started seeking out other sources of being able to find a good rugby article to write. And, that, and those other sources, you know, have been rugby.com.au. And, and, and actually, Beth, Beth Newman would, would have been another one. Yeah, yeah. There before, but, but she finishes up as well uh, with, with oh, rugby.com.au. Really? She, was, she was caught up in the Rugby Australia um, uh, job cuts there a month ago, oh, so wow. there's a there's a few of them finishing up there. Um, so, you know, people were 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 getting used to the idea of looking past the mainstream sources, if you like, to try and find good rugby content. And so, you know, that was rugby.com.au. It was um, it was the raw, it's green and gold rugby. It's uh, it's podcasts like this and and all the other ones that are out there, um, um, and because it was sort of out of necessity, if you like, um, you know, mm. if, you know, if uh, necessity is the mother of all invention, you do you do what you've you've got to do, I suppose, to try and find out the info. But the reason I say that's a bit of an opportunity is is because 
if if over time that you know the, if if the right deals can be done and and rugby.com.au becomes a bit of a driving force again, um, I'm not actually sure of the state of it going forward, but uh, you know that there will be an opportunity for them to keep churning out some really quality stuff, and they have been doing that for a few years. Mm. Um, if you know, the more and more interest in it, once once things do get back on TV, then maybe Fox Sports do actually start writing those same sort of stories that Christy Dore and Sam Worthington were writing uh, before they finished up. So, um, you know, the stories will still be there and certainly the media managers around the country will want those stories to be told. It's just a matter of how they get out there. And it just might be that they won't be in the Sydney Morning Herald, they won't be in the Australian, or they won't be yep. in the, the, the Daily Telegraph for the next, you know, maybe a year or two years, but they'll, they'll be around um, and it'll just be a matter of how they get out there. So um, yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and, and, and again, as I say, uh, I think football fans in, in, in Australia have been in that situation for a little while and, and it certainly doesn't look like it's improving on an A-league coverage front of, from what's happened in the last few weeks. Yeah. yeah. And it makes me start to immediately think of what different communication methods can arise from this. Cause if you're moving away from traditional mm. print media, then obviously you need to be thinking of other communication styles and then automatically from my limited understanding of it, your demographic changes as well. Mm-hmm. And you're targeting different markets, which is a good thing for rugby to expand its consumer yeah. base beyond its traditional stakeholders. I thought, um, I thought rugby, rugby.com.au was, was really starting to establish itself. They were, you know, they were, they were writing the stories that need to be written, but they were um, producing some really good quality content both in terms of you know, written articles and, and video content as well. You know, good panel panel type shit like this. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you, you can't find a t- yeah you can't find a TV panel show at the moment, but you can no. find Rugby Nation on there. You can. There's a few other little chat shows starting to pop up now as well. So, um, yep. you know, it's the, the the sporting bodies have recognised that there is definitely value in the independent media arm, and so I just hope that the the day isn't too far away where. Rugby Australia as a body is able to start reinvesting back into rugby.com.au because um, mm. they, were, they were certainly doing really good stuff. Well, why don't we finish our conversation there? And I think I can happily say for both Mitch and myself, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Brett. Yes, um, yeah, Insights have been uh, obviously insightful and <laughs> it's been good to just hear about the life of a sports journalist as well and some of the stuff there. So thank you. No, no worries. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed the chat. And, um, yeah, looking forward to the rugby this weekend. Get it, I hope you can get around it some way. Oh, it's going to be great. Be. We will be. Well, let's finish it there and have a great night. And thank you so much. No worries at all. Thanks, guys. All right. See ya. Thanks. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to episode 17 of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. That's it for tonight and today, except we just want to quickly tell you the games that are happening for round one of Super Rugby AU. So we have the Reds versus Waratah, Suncorp Stadium on Friday night at 7.05 p.m. Mitch, who do you think is going to win, Reds or Tars, and by how much? Okay, I'm going for Reds this this game. Reds by Mm -hmm. three. Reds by three. I'm going three. Reds by 14 plus. 14! I think the Tars are going to get pumped. Oh. Um, actually, I'm going to revise that to 10. 10. I'm going to okay. revise that to 10. That so was confident. One converted and a penalty. I should have just stayed with 14, but I haven't. Anyway, um, and then the second game of the round is on Saturday at 7.15 p.m. Brumbies versus the Rebels at GIO in Canberra. So, Brumbies or Rebels, who's your call? Brumbies for sure. By how much? Uh, Brumbies by 14. What? 
Yeah. You're calling the Brumbies by 14, and yet you scoff when I say that about the Reds, who are playing the weakest team in a comp. Yeah, but they're <laughs> the Reds. We don't know what to expect from the Reds. We don't know what to expect uh, from anyone. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going Brumbies by five. Um, five. I think the Brumbies will win. Yeah, I think so. But I just think the Rebels are going to be up for it because it's the first game. Everyone will be energetic and full of... Um, they'll just compete at every opportunity. And I don't think it's going to be a clear one thing. I'm like one I thing I'm really interested in seeing is if the Brumbies do change their um, approach to attack with the new rules. So Being under the, up over the line, yeah, yeah. So under the current rules, the Brumbies' weapon is their driving ball off the line out. If they don't mm. get that ball down, they lose that possession. They don't even get a reset. So it'll be interesting to see yep. how many times they go for that, thinking that they're going to get it. Even if they get the first one, if they try again and they don't get it, who knows? Mm. Because if you take that away, that's where they score most of their points. This is try scorer um, last year was Falafainga. Uh, exactly, Falafainga. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, let's see. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing some rugby with Australian teams in it. So thank you everybody for listening, and hope to see you next or hear from you. Next yeah, we'll week catch you all next week. <laughs> catch your team. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week.